The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, it's Jesse. Back in March, our producer Sarah Storm and I interviewed four listeners about how they were dealing with COVID-19. When we first recorded the episode, we'd just started working from home. We still thought it was temporary, that we'd be back in the office in a week. Well, that feels like a decade ago now. We spoke to listeners in China, Italy, North Dakota, and California, places where COVID was nearly over, completely raging, or not even on the radar yet. COVID's been this remarkably universal experience. It's impacted nearly everyone in some way, and yet it's so local. In China, Becky's life's back to normal now. In California, Manny's locking down all over again. So as the year finishes up, my colleague Michaela Greer set out to check back in with everyone. Here's Michaela to share their stories. Hey guys, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, literally and figuratively. When we checked in with Kate Burston earlier this year, she was in Milan, and the Lombardy region had just been declared a red zone. Kate is American, and her husband is Italian. We have, in terms of the, the pandemic, we went through an intense lockdown in Italy. We had we just started when I spoke to Jesse, and we were under a lockdown from, I believe it was March until June, that was incredibly strict. And we were only allowed to be outside of our home, uh, I think a 200 meter distance from our home. There were police on the corners. And then in Italy, actually, uh, along with what happened in the rest of Europe, there was um, kind of an opening and uh, actually kind of had a, a semi-normal uh, summer. We were able to take a family trip and, you know, we stayed within the country. And then, you know, the cases, as they predicted, the cases in the fall have, have risen again. Um, and so actually, Italy has just now, uh, we're a week into our second lockdown. Where are you right now? Well, so actually, uh, I'm in New York right now. I had been planning, I hadn't been able to see my family back in New York for a year. We had planned to see each other in 2020, but we're not able to cross borders uh, and see each other safely. I was determined to see them now because there was an opening. But uh, my ticket was actually for uh, November 9th, and I believe it was around November 5th, uh, Italy announced that they were going to start a lockdown within 24 hours. Wow. So not knowing if the airports would remain open or not, I called the airline and said, I want the first flight out. And so they got me on a flight the next morning at 10 a.m. before the lockdown went into effect, and I was able to fly back to the United States uh, so that I could see my family. It's been interesting to be back in uh, in New York, and I think there's a lot in common happening here that happened in Milan. People have asked me, oh, is it weird to be in New York City and see people with masks on? No, it's weird to see someone not without a mask on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think we are all adapting very quickly. I will say in New York City, I find myself a little bit more nervous in the sense that there's just a much greater density of, of people and the interaction spaces are, are much smaller. Is there anything you wish you had known back in March or April or June or whenever that you might have thought about differently or done differently? 
you know, it's, it's interesting. We knew so little, but we were informed that there would be these waves. Right. And um, I think somebody describes what governments need to do is like the hammer and the dance. You need to aggressively move to push it down, but you're going to have to keep kind of opening and shutting things over a period mm-hmm. of time. And in the fall, it's going to come back. And we hear this and we know this, but until you're in it and you're experiencing it, it's not real. Just in general, go with the flow. Try not to panic. Uh, we're not in control, uh, but we can be responsible. I'd agree with that. And there's been a lot of talk of things that we've lost this year. And of course, that's very true. But has this period lent you to more creativity or did anything great come out of this time? I have actually had a really amazing experience this year. Shortly after I spoke with Jesse, I found myself just kind of like, I want to help. How can I help people? So I actually uh, reached out to a friend of mine who's in New York, and she had been starting a business to help seniors in in kind of being more a part of having their wisdom engaged in society. And she had a business around kind of an age tech space. Hmm. So we started actually um, a business in March, in the, the end of March, called Eldera. And we are now, it's a, it's a global platform uh, where we connect people who are 60 and older with families around the world who uh, need help with like a mentor, are looking for kind of almost like an extended, I mean, these people have become extended family members. I mean, we have families in 18 countries now talking weekly with our mentors all throughout the United States. We're using Zoom and connecting people around the world to help each other. Uh, and it's really beautiful. That was Kate Burson. Kate made it safely back to Italy at the end of November. If you want to get involved with her new initiative, check out Eldira.ai. Our next guest is Emily Amon-Stratton. She lives in North Dakota. When she spoke to us in March, there were no cases in the state. Now, North Dakota is a hot spot. I talked to Emily two weeks after she tested positive for COVID herself. I'm extremely careful, neurotically careful, but I live in North Dakota. So... It was going to happen at some point. Unfortunately, we were moving apartments and our movers had been working in a nursing home all day. And it's really hard to convince people here to wear masks. (laughs) So It's interesting you say that because it's very hard for me to believe. I've been looking at North Dakota. Uh, When you first spoke with Jesse, there was basically no activity there. And now North Dakota also set a world record for its mortality rate. So People still aren't wearing masks? That is correct. Um, We do have the mask mandate now, which is big deal. Really big deal. People here really, really hate being told what to do, even if it's something that is taking care of others. And unfortunately, that is blowing up in the state's face. Wow. So what what is it like going out and about in your community? What's the mood? I have not been going out and about, but for a project I'm doing, I'm interviewing people in the community about their experience with COVID, and most of them are native to North Dakota. And so the other day I was speaking to a woman who I feel like really captured the energy of other people I've spoken to. She is a middle school guidance counselor, but she was saying that it essentially took this long for it to set in. Hmm. because it did not feel like it was real. 
And so the energy has shifted, especially within the city here. There's a little more fear than there was before. It's not stopping a lot of folks. They're still pushing for it to be normal. But overall, the atmosphere of fear has set in. Could you kind of walk through what the months leading up to where you are now have kind of looked like? Essentially, in March, we had our first cases in North Dakota, and that was about 40. It had not made it to rural areas yet. And a lot of people were saying, like, this is the place to wait it out. Hmm. Things don't spread here. It's going to be fine. And then the 4th of July happened. Hmm. And a big motorcycle rally happened in the summer. And that was really the start of it because um, where I am, I'm 10 minutes from Minnesota. That's where all the lakes are. And so there was a mass exodus over the summer, lots of travel back and forth. And that's when our numbers started spiking. And now we are out of control. The hospitals are full at this point. Um, One of my students' mothers is a nurse and she is round the clock working and it's a pretty tough situation. And I'm not sure how this will go. Wow. Back in March, you were working as a teacher, though that was online, but you're also doing the aerial dancing. Is that still happening? Yes, I am still aerial dancing and I'm still teaching, which is very complicated right now. But VIP Kids, which was the company I worked for teaching English online, it had a very interesting situation in July Hmm. where they overhired teachers during the surge in China. So they hired thousands of teachers. And then China started getting things under control. Kids started going back to school. And they had this excess of teachers. I had my regular students, but getting consistent bookings was getting very difficult because there were just too many people. And they promote new teachers, and it just wasn't worth the time. I wasn't making enough to even cover my Spotify bill. So I just said, okay, new job. And switching a little bit to, aerial dancing. You're also instructing now in in person, I'd imagine. What does that look like right now? I'm very used to being extremely hands-on and I love people. So I love having groups of people. I like having partner work. I think it's important to add cohesion to a group to create like an environment of expression and safety. And none of that is possible right now. So I transitioned into private lessons that were outdoors. So outdoor, distanced, masks the whole time. It's possible. You're fine. You can wear a mask and work out. It's totally fine. Uh, Just take a couple extra breaks. But they were outdoors, distanced, and single person. Now it is cold because this is North Dakota. (laughs) So I was transitioning into using my home studio for individual students I have a top-of-the-line air purifier, glass doors that open so I can air out the room, masks. It's obsessively cleaned, but at this point, I do not feel it would be wise to have students coming in. Next month, I will be teaching at a dance studio in town. 
a group of six students, which logistically is difficult because you cannot share um, your fabrics, trapeze, lira, what have you. You cannot share it. You cannot be within seven feet of each other. And I cannot go near them. <laughs> so it's a lot of talking. So what are you thinking about as you're preparing for this class? I was actually pretty intrigued by this because it's just a new puzzle. And I love puzzles. So my method is it is a brand new way of presenting information. So I have to time out my classes beforehand because there's a lot more speaking and there are more water breaks because of masking. So my general method is I demonstrate, we talk it through on the ground, and then I go up and I say, who wants to walk me through this? What's the first thing I do? What's the second thing I do? Walk me through it and I perform the movement and then I say, okay, you're up, go for it. One at a time, I can keep an eye on you and we build from there. Can you tell me a little bit of what you're feeling and what your precautions are and what you might do differently? I definitely take a lot of comfort in information and small things that I can do, which is why I've gotten so obsessed with cleaning. I think the best coping mechanism is to be honest with people in your life and to make an effort to encourage them as well. That was Emily Amon Stratton. Emily is feeling better and has resumed her aerial class schedule. Check it out at aerialdanceemily.com. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. In March, Manny Yakutiel and his team were trying to figure out how to take his coffee shop and community center digital. At first, that worked. But as they neared the end of the season, a lot of that momentum had died off. Outdoor dining wasn't working anymore. People got tired of Zoom, and they weren't really tuning into the show things got rough. And then Manny had to let a bunch of his staff go, which he says was the hardest decision. It was kind of like a low point. The restaurant actually pulled out and said, like, we can't do the outdoor dining thing anymore. And so we had this outdoor space that was supposed to be used for dining that wasn't being used. And so 
my team and I had the idea to turn the space outside into a set of 20 booths mm-hmm. that people could come to to phone bank, text bank, and write letters to swing state voters in the two months before the election. Basically like an outdoor campaign office um, where we would just pick people off of the street and book shifts. And then we also had beer and wine and food. And it was a huge success. I'm sure it meant that you had to do a lot of pivoting. That seems to be the word of the year. Um, What kind of challenges have you had and how often have you had to just change your whole business model? Oh my God. It's like, you know how Madonna had like every couple of years she got to, she had to reinvent herself to stay relevant. (laughs) So like, I imagine like the entire like early eighties Madonna to 2020 Madonna, but like in nine months. So it's like every month and a half you have to be, you have to put on a new face um, and to stay relevant. I mean, part of it is fun, right? Like it's a challenge, right? And you have to, so much of this journey is emotional. It's financial and it's emotional, right? And, and you know, San Francisco is right now in the middle of another, not lockdown, but a rolling back of openings. And right. it's very emotionally, you know, debilitating to have all these plans and then have to scrap them and change and adjust. And so we have had to pivot a lot. And then, you know, we had to make some bets. I had to spend $25,000 on the parklets. Um, I raised that money in a GoFundMe, but that required its own. You had to do a video. We had to, you know, reach out to the to the whole community. And so what it has required is a lot of emotional strength and to try to be perceptive uh, as much as possible on the future and a really good team. And I have a really, really, really solid team that works from the heart. And so they've been absolutely essential to getting us to this point, to surviving to this point. And so part of it is staying staying strong, like in your mood and staying positive. All around me, businesses are failing. They're going under. They're closing their doors. Businesses that are much better run than mine, I have to say. You know what I mean? With like better business minds, people who have been around for a lot longer. And we are in a emotional marathon. And so it's all about the spirit that you keep up to get you day by day, week by week past the next hurdle. And you kind of mentioned a lot of what you've learned about your business and having to change your model and do different things. I'm curious to know what you've learned about yourself this year. (laughs) Um, Well, what I think we've all learned about ourselves is a product of having being forced to spend more time with ourselves, right? Like, the the forced slowing down of our lives, even those of us, myself included, that are working more, you know, it feels like people either are out of work or working more. I'm definitely in the working more camp. But, you know, we're not going out to the movies. We're not going to the ballet. We're not going to concerts. We're not going on trips all around the place. We're not even visiting family as much, you know, if at all. And so what that's done is it's cut out and then we have these pods of like whoever, three or four friends or five friends that we've been spending our time with. And so I have had to look at myself in the mirror, sometimes actually literally at home with nothing to do, just looking at myself in the mirror being like, what is going on? And I think most of us have just gotten to know ourselves a lot better. And I love me. You know, like, <laughs> I, I love me. I'm, I'm 31 years old and I'm really proud of myself. It's true. I am really proud of myself. I'm kind of kicking ass. It's great. <laughs> yes, you are. I mean, I'm not the only one kicking ass. A lot of people are, but like, 
Um, I'm proud. And so I think that what, what the pandemic has taught us is we can do, it's taught us three things. One, this idea works. If it, if it, it works in a pandemic and in an economic crisis, it definitely is going to work when it doesn't. People want spaces to gather around political life. Two, we can and will do large offsite political events, um, you know, once in a while. And three, it's not the end of the world to have an accessory digital piece of the programming. I still very much believe in the primacy of in-person experiences. Even though there's fewer people that participate, I still believe that the um, end product is more valuable than all the Zoom and online conversations in the world. I agree. Thank you, Manny. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for chatting with me. That was Manny Yakutiel. Check out his place online at welcometomanny's.com. To wrap things up today, we're traveling to Xiaomen, China. Back in March, our guest Becky Ansis took her recorder into her closet to make us an audio postcard. She could get a bite to eat with her boyfriend back then, but they had to sit back to back and far away from each other in the restaurant. When I caught up with her this time, she was coming back from playing badminton, and she'd recently competed in a huge tournament. Her life sounded amazingly normal. I kind of don't talk about this a lot with my American friends because I know things are, you know, kind of dire there and that a lot of people are struggling. But here, um, things are kind of, you know, post-pandemic normal. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a teacher at a university. Um, last March, of course, we were doing classes online. But this semester, normal time, starting in September, um, my university has 20,000 students, more than 20,000 students. So they um, have all been back. We started class normally. Uh, we don't have any sort of precautions in class. You don't have to wear a mask. We don't socially distance at all. Um, the only few things are like to get into the school, you need a temperature check. And uh, outside the cafeterias, they check your temperature before you enter and they encourage hand washing before you eat, but uh, it's not mandatory. So yeah, my daily life, you know, is kind of back to normal. As you walk down the streets, what are you noticing? Are people still distancing themselves even though things have gone back to normal? What does shopping look like in the supermarket? Um, yeah, uh, things are uh, pretty normal, you know. Starbucks is packed <laughs> every <laughs> afternoon. We're not required to wear masks outside. The only place we're required to wear masks is on public transportation. Maybe about 15% of people on the street and out and about are wearing masks. And some of the big malls will have a temperature checker at, at the front door. You mentioned that you don't really talk about what things are like for you in China because your friends and family here are experiencing something different. And I can imagine back in March, the reverse was true. So how do you navigate those conversations? What do they look like? I guess I let like my friends and family talk more <laughs> than mm -hmm. I talk, you know, because in a way I do feel like I'm, you know, rubbing it in their face because, you know, like uh, my dad sent me an email and he said um, he's not going to have Thanksgiving and he's not going to have Christmas because I do have a brother but in America, but my brother um, is a teacher and so he mm -hmm. is at high risk of catching it and my father's elderly. Thanksgiving here, I'm actually going to a big party at a really nice restaurant and it's going to be a masquerade party and there's going to be a lot of people. But I, 
I haven't shared that like on my Facebook or anything because I don't want to be like, you know, hey, everyone, I'm, I'm having a great time here. And I know a lot of Americans maybe um, have some very negative feelings towards China right now as well. So I don't want to bring that up. What do you wish you had known or what do you wish you would have done differently, I guess, in the beginning of March? I feel really fortunate that I think like the choices I made are now I realized were correct. But a lot of people, a lot of foreigners in China in, you know, January, February, we had the option of leaving, you know, and getting out of China. And a lot of foreigners did. And at the time, that was clearly the best decision. Because China, you know, it was very scary. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know, you know, we didn't even know much about the virus at that point. So it was like to get out of China was the smarter decision. But very soon after it spread around the world, and China really locked down, like, uh, we're safe, we can travel in the country, but it's very hard to get into China from another country. So if I leave, there's a very big chance I can't get back. So a lot of my coworkers, um, they got locked out and they are still locked out because it's still, it's beginning to open a little, but it's very difficult. Like um, one of my coworkers just came back and he had to quarantine for three weeks, but it's not self-quarantine. It is like they take you from the airport to a hotel, they put you in a room, they lock the door, (laughs) and three weeks later, you come out. And during that time, you get two to four COVID tests, you get a couple antibody tests. When the lockdown kind of stopped here, the first thing everybody wanted to do was to go out shopping together, (laughs) was to go to, you know, a cafe and talk with their friends. So, you know, unfortunately, I kind of wish that maybe after this, we would come out a bit more enlightened, a bit more, you know, caring for people and not stuff. But honestly, like here, when the lockdown ended, like, I don't love malls. I don't love shopping or anything, but I just wanted to be in a mall just to be around people (laughs) and to be around noise and to be around activity. You know, I think a lot of people are expecting life to be different after. And of course it will, you know, this is a, a situation that will stay with us. But I think it will go back to normal surprisingly quick once people feel safe that they can do things again. I think that's what everyone craves. That was Becky Yances. She's been living and teaching in China for 12 years. You can get to know more about her by subscribing to her YouTube channel, Badminton Becky. We'd like to thank all of our guests today for taking the time to let us know how they're doing. We've been doing this for nine months now, folks. Maybe a little less or more, depending on where you are. There are vaccines on the horizon, but we know that the path out of this will be a little on the slow side. Let us know what your hopes and fears and plans are as we head into 2021. Drop us a line at hellomonday at linkedin.com. You can also take our listener survey at linkedin.com forward slash hellomonday. I'm Michaela Greer. Sarah Storm, Jesse Hempel, and Dave Pond help produce this bonus episode. We'll see you on Monday.